are His believers. Or should be His believers. So these gifts, they range from natural talents to spiritual gifts, calls, offices, responsibilities. Because in Ephesians 4 and 8, it says, Therefore it says, When He, Jesus, ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts unto men. So I want to stop there just a minute and, and help you to understand that every person is giving gifts. Whether it's gifts of the Spirit, natural abilities, talents, some level of gift God has bestowed upon you. As well as, as a believer, He's given you the spiritual gift of salvation, right? The free gift we couldn't earn. The one that's by grace. So we're all uniquely gifted. But at times, uh, we can find ourselves looking at other gifts, desiring other gifts. Paul says to desire the gift of prophecy, desire different things. We can desire gifts. We shouldn't covet gifts, but we should desire them. So I want to show you a list of gifts because sometimes we only think about the main gifts. You know, the fivefold ministry, the, uh, the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, uh, all those things. But there's actually a tremendous amount of gifts and they're up on the screen. So we have administration, we have apostleship or pioneering, craftsmanship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, encouraging, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, intercession. And I'm not going to read them all, but you can look at them. Uh, they'll leave them up for a while. And see that there is a diversity of gifts that God has placed within the body in order to do a few things. So He's given gifts to men to shine, right? He's given gifts to men so that your name can be up in the light, right? He gave gifts to men so that you can be the most important person in the church. He gave gifts to men so that everyone would follow you. None of those are correct. He actually gave gifts to men for the perfecting of the body. So that we may come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So every gift up there, and there's many more gifts. That's, that's not an exhaustive list of every gift that is available. But that's the vast majority. And the thing is, is that they're all not just spiritual gifts. Well, you can operate in the spirit like craftsmanship. So if you work with your hands, you're very talented with your hands, you like to build stuff, you like to do all those things, you know that that is a, a gift that God has given. So when they were building the temple, there were people that were skilled in woodwork and stonework and gold and forging and all these things and the spirit would come upon them and they would be masterful at everything that they would do. So we see here that each person is giving a gift, your unique gift. So you shouldn't desire my gift. My, you, you might see it and, and say, well, I would love to preach and teach. And that's great if that's what God has graced you with, if that's what God has empowered you. Because the same in this story where it talks about in verse uh, 15, it says, to one he gave five, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Your ability. And that ability is defined by God. And God says, you will have this. You will prophesy. You will preach. You will be an apostle. You will be a pastor. You will be a teacher. You will be a craftsman. You will operate in faith. You will operate in giving. And not that we can't have multiple gifts. We absolutely can. And our gifts can develop. And we can desire gifts, and God can give them to us. But we have to make sure that when we're desiring gifts, 
that it's from the right heart. That it's for the right motive, for the perfecting of the saints. So you see something in the body or God has placed a desire on you. That God, I want to operate in this so that I can see people free. Not I want to operate in this so that I can be the man. So I can, I can do this. So I can uh, have my name in lights. So or I can have my, my, my Facebook Live. Or I can do all these things. Because right now, the, the, the very prevalent thing is, is, is apostles and prophets. And we need those. And it is the resurgent of that gift. Those gifts. But especially prophecy. So people, everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to, to know the mysteries of God. Everyone wants to see into the Spirit. They want to be able to speak into your life. They want to be able to tell you your bank account number is the, the last three digits are 4673. In the name of Jesus. Give me a $100 offer. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> so, we have to understand that with this gift, there must come a grace. And grace is God's divine power to operate in it. So just because you name yourself something doesn't mean that that's what you are. You have to be called. You have to be graced. You have to be appointed. But more than anything, you have to be able to operate in the faith of that gift. When you have to speak a word in someone's life. Or you have to stand up here and rightly divide the word of truth. So the gift to preach and teach... And minister is a heavy call. Because the Word says that we that preach and teach will be judged more harshly. More harshly. Because I'm not sure how many people are in here right now, but if I was to guess, it's probably 35, maybe 40 people who are listening to what I'm saying, believing what I'm saying, because you believe that I'm a man of God. And you believe that it is God speaking through me. So that's why as pastors and teachers and ministers and prophets and all these giftings that speak and lead and give you the word of God, the Bible says that they will be held more responsible. They will be judged harshly. For one, because we know the truth. And two, it is our responsibility not to lead you astray, but to give you the truth. That's rightly divided. So understanding that we have to be very careful in wanting to covet gifts or even desiring gifts. But you have to begin to look inside and say, God, what is my gift? What is it that you've called me to do? Because I want to do something. I want to be productive in the kingdom. I feel this call. And, and honestly, typically your gift is very natural to you. It's not something very foreign. It's something you enjoy doing. Now, sometimes when it comes down to ministering, uh, that's not always a natural gift. Some people are natural orators and they enjoy standing before people and, and talking to people. But most of us that preach and teach, like I had the desire to do that when I was very young. At 17, I desired, or 16, 17, something like that. I desired it, but I didn't realize what I was desiring. I didn't realize the fear that came with it, the nervousness, the study, the all these things like that. But I still wanted to do it. So, again, you being graced with a gift according to your faith, your ability. So, as we desire gifts, sometimes we don't realize what it takes to get to the place of a, let's say, a, a very visible gift. 
So let's say a pastor, a teacher, a, an apostle, a, an evangelist, or whatever. In Luke 16 and 12, it says something very interesting, if you'll turn there really quick. Because it's a principle I want to convey to you uh, so that you understand what it's going to take uh, to operate and walk really in any gift. In any gift, not just the big gifts, not just the main gifts, but but any gift. So Luke 16 and 12, it says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Again, it says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? So this is the problem with self-appointment and even just saying, well, I am this. Because my first question to you is, who have you been faithful to? Who have you served under? What have you done in order to get to this place? Because Jesus said, let the greatest among you preach. Let the greatest among you prophesy. Let the greatest among you start a church. Let the greatest among you do all the great things. He said, no, let the greatest among you serve. So this is an important principle in, in any gift. It's servanthood. It's being humble. It's not thinking that I can't vacuum the floor, I can't mop the floor, I can't clean, I can't do, I can't do whatever's needed within the kingdom. Because at times we look at the, the, the glory and we want that. People singing and dancing and doing all this. And even musicians who are so talented and, you know, uh, doing all those things. But realizing that it took something to get there. Sometimes in the church, we're the only people that will just, I am now this. But in the world, you don't want just this operating on you, right? You don't want just this taking your blood. You don't want just, well, I'm going to be a nurse today. Give me your arm. Let me wrap this bandage around your head. So again, it's the principle of sowing into good ground. Sowing where you want to get to. If you want to be a preacher, serve. If you want to be whatever you want to be, ensure that you are faithful to another man's thing. You see somebody that you admire, and we tell, we tell the members all the time, it's like when you see somebody that's doing something that they do it really well, so maybe they pray, or maybe they preach, or maybe they teach, or maybe they dance well, or whatever. As human beings, we can be very jealous of people, right? So instead of going and saying, hey, can you help me, or can you teach me, you know, we'll just talk about them, or we'll just, you know, do whatever, or we'll stay away from them. Like, well, I'm going to figure it out myself. That's the principle of mentoring, like coming under someone, realizing that their, their floor can become your ceiling. So their floor, the person that does something well, that's the whole principle of mentoring is that they've already obtained something. And so their floor can be your ceiling and then take you even further, faster. Uh, it's the same principle with Elijah and Elisha. He followed him. He got double his anointing because he did what? He served Elijah. He served him because the stipulation for double his anointing was to see him translate. So that means he had to stay with him everywhere he went. He never knew when Elijah would translate or when he would be called to the Lord. So the principle of serving. So the gift, again, the goal of the gift is to build the kingdom. And the goal should not be hoarded. 
or you should not refuse to use it. The goal, is, the goal of a gift is not to hoard it or refuse to use it. So one of the aspects of the gift is to bless others, to bring increase into the master's economy, which is the kingdom of God. This parable so many times, and, and as I studied and, and read it and read it in so many different commentaries and so many different views of what this really meant, a lot of times it's used for money uh, only, but that's not what God was saying to me about it. Uh, he began to talk to me about the economy of the kingdom and building people and using your gifts in order to build the kingdom, using your gifts to bring people into the perfection of Jesus Christ, into the knowledge of him, us using what he has entrusted us with faithfully. So basically it means you want to see people healed, you want to see people delivered, you want to see people get to the next place, even if that means that vacuuming the floor can cause people to do that. Because if this floor was completely full of trash, most of you all would not come back next Sunday, especially visitors. Like, man, they don't even vacuum their floor. I ain't never going back to that church. But again, you see that every part is important in the kingdom. Sometimes in the world it can be like, well, you only do this, you just take out the trash, you're not very important. But even in the world, the trash man is very important. Let that trash build up around your house. On the outside, it's stinking and stuff is dead and maggots and all that stuff. So every part plays an important part, even in the world and or in the kingdom. So these gifts are again for the perfecting of the body to bring it into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So now let's move on to the third servant. And that starts in verse 24. And I'm going to read it again because I've been talking a little bit. Uh, and, and I really want you to, to, to grab a hold of this uh, because it's an important principle. And in verse 24 it says, And he also received the one talent and came forth, saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, where you uh, <clears throat> here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped or I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the banker. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take my talent from him, so take my talent from him, give it to the one with ten, for to everyone who will who has more, uh, more be given. And he who has and he will have an abundance, excuse me. But for the one who has not It will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very difficult. This is a very difficult part of this parable. I'll be honest. It's very difficult. But I'm going to summarize a little bit. So he took the talent and buried it. The master returned. He was afraid. Okay. So this is a big point that, that God began to deal with me about this, this parable, is fear. Fear. So some of the things that fear does is fear stops us 
from moving, stops us from going forward, stops us from pursuing things, stops us from trusting. Fear is one of the, I believe, one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian faith. To progress in God's body is fear. You know, fear also has torment. How many of y'all have ever been tormented by fear? By worry? By anxiety? Fear, fear literally puts a grip on us. Uh, Joyce Myers had a, a, a interpretation of uh, the scripture that talks about fear. And she began to say that it actually is like a, a, a vice grip or something that grips around you and strangles you to death. It strangles the purpose. It strangles everything out of you that's there. It, it literally, fear strangles the life out of you. So do you know that fear is not of God? At times we believe that this is just part of my lot in life. If I worry a lot, if I'm anxious, if, if, I, if, I, if I'm constantly, my mind's constantly racing and running, that, that's just me. Well, in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Some, some interpretations say self-control, but a sound mind. It says God has not given us the spirit of fear. So must, first you must understand that it's a spirit. And it's something that wants to control you. It's something that wants to uh, possess you. It's something that wants to uh, uh, ride on you. It's something that wants to um, speak to you, talk to you torment you day and night to stop you from fulfilling what it is that God has so this servant it seems his fear was justified by the description of the master right he says you're a hard man he said you don't basically you don't you didn't give me this money you stole it you didn't sow, but you only reap. So that begins to give you an indication that maybe this master was unjust, right? Maybe he was, there was something bad about him. But we have to look at the rest of the story. Why did the first two operate the correct way? If this, if this master was so hard and so unfair, why weren't they fearful? Why did they take the five and double it and the other one take the two? And you see the reward that they got. It says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Again, fear will skew our perception of people. Fear will skew our perception of God. Fear will cause us to operate in um, very manipulative ways. We'll say things like this. Well, I didn't know what you really wanted me to do you didn't you didn't give me every instruction we will place the blame we will um, manipulate our way to ensure that we're not punished we'll give every excuse because we're fearful of the master's response or your boss's response or your pastor's response or you'll give every excuse and, and, and don't get me wrong at times there are legitimate reasons why you couldn't do things but it's very strange that in being his servant he didn't really know him he actually lied on him 
Because that wasn't... Because if you read on down uh, on the, in the second part, let's see here, on, in verse 26, he says, You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Question mark. So is that what you're really saying about me? You're really saying that I'm an unjust master. But again, we look at the example of the other two servants, and obviously there was something um, a little off with his story. So fear caused him to falsely accuse him, to manipulate him into not being disappointed with him or dealing with him. Have you ever been in that place? That you will make up every excuse and even manipulate to not be called out, to not be corrected. We'll make every excuse to say, oh, well, well, I, I, I didn't really know, or this happened, and, and that happened, and, and, and I thought you were going to yell at me, or I thought that I was going to get in trouble. When we finally get down to it, it's like, well, I thought I was going to get in trouble, so I lied about it. Or I didn't tell the truth. Or I didn't do this. So, this is interesting. As, as I began to study this more and read, I really believe that the third servant didn't really know the master at all. He didn't have a relationship and thus falsely accused him to manipulate not getting in trouble or being uh, disappointed or even having to deal with him, which ultimately means he was lying. The third servant was lying. He used all that in order to make the master feel like, is that what you really felt about me? See, this is manipulation. You really, you really thought that was me? You really thought that I stole this money and then put a requirement on you that I didn't put on myself? So as leaders, we have to be careful because people will put you on a, a guilt trip. Okay? They'll, they'll make you seem like you did something wrong when they're the ones that did not obey, did not follow through because of fear and laziness, or both one or the other. And so because he didn't just say, you wicked ser servant, he said, you slothful and wicked servant. So as we see, I believe the master, or Jesus, had to deal with them harshly for a couple reasons. There was no relationship. And that's what Jesus really wants. He's really not interested in your product or your what you produce as much as He wants to be in a relationship with you, ultimately. He desires relationship over works. So some will look at this on the surface and be like, well, if that was Jesus, he seems to be pretty harsh. Because this dude got cast into outer darkness with gnashing of teeth. And so I've read many other commentaries, and, and people will take this uh, really, really, really literally and really confuse the whole parable. But it's interesting that the first part of each parable talks about a natural thing, but then the last part of each one of the verses talks about a spiritual thing. So he talked about the talents, two, five, five, two, whatever, 
But then he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You'll enter into the joy of the master both times. But then the last one, he says, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Now enter into outer darkness with gnashing of teeth. Who knows where gnashing of teeth is? It's hell. He cast them away. And so we have to be so careful with what we do with our gifts. Now, do I believe that Jesus right now and anyone that's alive would cast them to outer darkness? No. But what I do believe is that this is at the judgment. And the things that you do now will be judged later. So when you, when you are not in a relationship with Christ and you say, when you stand before Him and say, I was fearful that I, I can't measure up to those other Christians or the ones that had the five and the two, or you say that I thought you were going to punish me harshly if I lost or didn't perform. How many of us have been there in this Christian walk where we believe that we don't measure up, so therefore I don't know if I can be a Christian. I don't know if I can walk this out. I don't know if I measure up to everyone else I see singing and dancing and praising God and having such great faith. We all can find ourselves there in comparison. Well, one thing that I found out is that comparison is a killer. There's no one you should compare yourself to except yourself. You should judge yourself by yourself. Not to other people. Because we're all uniquely different. Again, uniquely gifted. Uniquely graced. So what I do, you can't do. What you do, I can't do. Now we can do different forms and different measures. But in this third servant, uh, and, and I'll prove to you in, in the story of the fig tree, which Pastor Daisy just taught about it on Wednesday, where the leaves on the fig tree came out saying that there was fruit. So the leaves and the fruit come at the same time. Jesus went to the fig tree and there should have been fruit there. He went to the fig tree. There should have been fruit because there were leaves. So he goes and the, 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 the vineyard or the, the person that's keeping the vineyard was talking about cutting it down. Well, Jesus was like, no, I'll come back. And I'll come back. And I'll fertilize. And I'll do this because I want to see the fig tree produce. I want to see them do better. So I don't believe that this was the first instance that the master, who was Jesus, had with this servant. And again, I believe that this is the at the end of time when you die and you stand before God and your works are judged. And so, I believe Jesus, He wants to provide for us life and life more abundantly. His desire and his heart is to never cast anyone into outer darkness. It is not his heart. He, he actually said he died so that we may live. But one thing that he said is that some people won't be saved. Not because Jesus or God ever rejects them. But he said because of the hardness of their hearts. So salvation is a choice. It is something we choose to receive the free gift or reject the free gift. Or in this third servant's case, take it and hide it. I can't.
put it out there because I'm afraid of what they'll say about me. I don't know that I can live up to it. I don't know if, if this is even really real. We can be given the free gift, but if you sit on it, hide it, bury it, because of fear or because of laziness, at the end of time, there will be no excuse. When it's all said and done, His love is still reckless. It's still endless. It is still without end. But when you choose, so, so in salvation there's a choice to obey or to deny. To live for Him or to not. And so we have to be careful as we live our life what we're doing with this precious gift that's been given to us. Because at times we will sit on it. And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. It's the same with the story about the light or the candle being set upon a hill. It says we can't be hid unless you put a bushel over it. Unless you put a cover over it. Unless you're ashamed of the gospel. Unless you're ashamed of Him. For whatever fearful reason. There can be multiple reasons why you don't feel like that you can take the gift of salvation and spread it with others. But the number one is going to be fear. And then I believe number two is that we're lazy. We're, we're busy with life. We have to pursue our careers and our are, are, are all the things that, that seemingly become so much more important because Jesus is not like right here like follow me, do, 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 do. He says choose this thing. Every disciple had a choice to follow or to stay there and be the same. So today, what God is saying is will you be faithful over every gift that's given you. So yours may not be that you're hiding your salvation. But it could be that you're not operating in your gift at all. You know what God has called you to do. But because of fear, because of laziness, because of the cares of this world, because of whatever, you refuse to operate where God wants you to be. And to be honest, that's actually all of us. We can even be operating our gifts and know that we need to do more. We need to go after Him more. We need to seek Him more. Because there's a dying world out there that needs to know Jesus. And guess what? Me and Pastor Daisy, we're just two people. We can preach on Facebook Live. We can do all this stuff. We can make flyers. We can do whatever. But the world needs you and your gifting. So there are people that I can never reach that you can. And so I want to be one of the first two servants. That at the end of time, when it's all said and done, what God has entrusted me with, I give Him double. Miles Monroe says this, that the place with the most potential in the world is the grave. The place with the most potential in the world is in the grave. I know for me, I have decided that I will not let anything 
stop me from fulfilling the call on my life. Not my job, not my family, not anything. Because I love God that much. Some say, well, Pastor, I think you might have your priorities out of... No, no, no. Fulfilling the call that God has on my life. Nothing... My family can't become more important than ultimately the call. If I'm doing my call, and healthily, my family's going to be right where it needs to be. But we'll put other things thinking that that's what God really wants. When really He needs you to put Him first. He says, have no other gods before me. It's not jobs, it's not education, it's not money, it's not family, it's not husband, it's not wife, it's not kids, it's none of those things. Because when we put Him in proper order, everything else falls into place. But we believe that we have to right now, that now that we have time, this is our opportunity right now to do everything we need to do and I'll get God later. Right? Uh, I'll fit Him in my busy schedule. A little bit will do. So at the beginning I said, we must, you must be faithful over every gift given to you. In spite of fear, your level, the level of prestige of the gift, or the place that you are in. God desires that we all examine our lives. That we look inwardly and say, where am I really at? Which servant am I? Am I doing my very best, but I just need some help? Or am I sitting on the precious gift of salvation? I'm in essence denying Him by my life. Not your mouth. So our mouth is deceptive. We can say anything we like. But our actions speak so much more than our life. So as we, as I close, we have to begin to look at our lives. Where are you? Where do you find yourself in this parable? Do you find yourself doing everything that you can with what God has given you? And if we were to all be honest, we all should come up for prayer. Because at some place in our life, we are neglecting God. We are not investing everything that He has given us. Whether it's because we don't know, or because we choose to be lazy. Yeah, come on. So as we take this time to think about what it is that God is saying for you. I can't determine for you how faithful you are over what God has given you. I can try to be a fruit inspector, but honestly, it's going to you be, being true to yourself and saying, God, I repent. I repent for my slothful ways. I repent for even being wicked and charging falsely to you that I was afraid that you would unjustly harm me, be hard on me. 
we have to take this time and figure out where you're at. If it's you that needs to rededicate your life, that thought you were walking in the way, I need you to come. If it's you that has not been a faith, been faithful over the talents and the gifts that He's given you, I need you to come. We'll pray with you. We'll stand in the gap with you. We'll pray that God place you exactly where you need to be. We'll bind fear because fear is real. And there's no, don't be ashamed that you struggle with fear. We've all struggled with fear. I've struggled with fear. But I had to bind the devil. I had to bind him. I had to walk in the truth of who God created me to be. Strong, courageous, without fear. I had to be like Peter and step out of the boat. Because comfortable is not a good place. Comfortable is not a good place. If you don't feel like you're challenged in this walk, you're probably comfortable. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This life at times can be hard, but it's doable. It's manageable. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when he says there's a yoke and a burden, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some opposition to you giving your all. But he says, through me, I'll give you life and life more abundantly. I'll help you to walk out the things that I've called you to do. There's two things actually God needs for you to fulfill your call. That's your faith and your obedience. Your faith in your obedience. The gifts and calls are God's power through you. He just needs your faith and your obedience. So if it's you come, hallelujah.